This is the RBR TVBR In Focus podcast. Here's your host, radio and television business report editor-in-chief, Adam R. Jacobson. Hello and welcome to the podcast, which is presented by .fm, streaming social podcast or broadcast. Get a .fm domain name by heading over to get.fm today. And today our guest is Davina Sashkin. She is the co-managing member of Fletcher Heldon Hildreth. And it's a pleasure to have her on the podcast today to talk a little bit about what went on at the Supreme Court. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Adam. Thank you for having me. The Supreme Court of the United States, led by Chief Justice John Roberts, heard oral arguments in FCC versus Prometheus. And the NAB is involved. Um, There are other players that are involved on behalf of the broadcast media industry. And what this is, in layman's terms, is the FCC's chance to get the Supreme Court to overturn the Third Circuit remand of its media ownership rules. So it's very important that everybody in broadcast media understand what happened today. And that's why we're turning to you, Davina. What exactly transpired? Well, there were two main questions being discussed, and one I think we can um, dispense with pretty quickly, which it seems like the court is is headed in that direction. Um, One of the questions was, should the Third Circuit be given what has ended up being um, perpetual jurisdiction over uh, media ownership rules emanating from the FCC? I mean, typically... The FCC is um, under original jurisdiction um, with the D.C. Circuit, and because of that, it's um, the D.C. Circuit has uh, built up, um, you know, a history and uh, a familiarity with um, the FCC and the processes, and, you know, because D.C. Circuit also has primary jurisdiction over all federal agencies, it's, it is deemed the the uh, court to rule on all Administrative Procedure Act um, cases. And so the fact that this case has was taken out of the D.C. Circuit and put in the Third Circuit some 17 years ago initially and has stayed there, um, the FCC and NAB argued essentially that it prejudices them. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't gather that the... Uh, any of the justices were behind that argument. They didn't seem terribly sympathetic, um, so I don't I don't see that argument going anywhere. Um, as to the substantive argument, um, the other uh, issue on the table, the primary issue on the table, is whether the FCC has given sufficient rationale, reasoning, and explanation for a change of its rules and whether, therefore, the the Third Circuit, of course, found that they had not, I guess, um, done a sufficient uh, analysis or explanation of how the the adopted changes, which now not in effect, would impact um, female and minority ownership. And it seemed to me that generally the the court was leaning in favor of Prometheus and the other public interest proponents and against the FCC and NAB, indicating that they largely felt that maybe the FCC had not provided a reasoned explanation for their their change. Um, 
course, the, the I, I guess he's the Deputy Solicitor General, uh, Mr. Stewart, who was arguing for the FCC, didn't really do them any favors. He, he, he clearly was uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to hear your assessment of this because the interesting read that I'm getting as someone who is not an attorney in any way is is that there's there's an odd argument going on here. It's very hard to read the tea leaves on this. And I just kept hearing about diversity of viewpoint and localism balanced against the minority and female ownership rules and how the the FCC says that it has an incubator program. Um, it's it's trying, but I, there's a lot of things that just didn't really add up here, and and I'm surprised. I think as you are that the justices seem to be avoiding deference to the FCC on this. Agreed. Well, so on one hand, um, you know, there there's it's known generally that Justice Gorsuch, um, and it is anticipated. It's not fully known about um, Justice um, Coney uh, Barrett. Um, are, but we, we believe that she is also um, not a big fan of Chevron deference um, to government agencies. And so um, the, I guess there's some thinking that that would have been raised and this would have been an opportunity for those justices and perhaps others to um, to undermine Chevron deference, if not outright toss it um, you know, it's been a long-standing tenant of, you know, administrative law in that, you know, the, that there's going to be deference given to an administrative agency because they have expertise in the field. Um, but they, what's surprising is that Gorsuch didn't ask about it at all, and neither did anyone else. Um, so if anyone was going to raise it and, and bring it to the forefront, as I would have expected Gorsuch, and he didn't do it. So, um, you know, maybe uh, this is a way to – they'll find a way to undermine without directly uh, attacking Chevron, if that makes sense. The, the, the fact that he didn't raise it makes me think that they're not going to do a full-on assault and say we're, we're throwing Chevron out the window. Can you kind of explain what you mean by Chevron? Chevron is a, is a, a seminal Supreme Court case in which the uh, holding was that the Supreme Court and courts, lower courts, of course, which then follow the Supreme Court, can and should give deference to an agency's reasoned analysis an approach to these very arcane and detailed and, and um, difficult regulatory questions. It came up in Chevron, as you can imagine, it came up in the context of an energy regulatory thing. And, and essentially, um, the court was saying, you know, we're we're in no we the courts in this country are in no position to inter, interfere with the people and the you know. You know, the day-to-day the the day -day career people who have the expertise and do the in-depth analysis so long as that in-depth analysis is conducted and there's sufficient data and analysis and reasoned decision-making to support whatever the agency 
determination is, then we're just going to defer to that because we are not in a, we the courts are not in a position to <laughs> say we are more expert than the expert agency. The one thing that when we were listening to the oral argument presentation that really kind of struck us as a continual theme is the words, I'm a bit confused. <laughs> Why were so many Supreme Court justices confused over this case? Well, I think it is confusing. Well, part of the confusion stemmed from um, Mr. Stewart um, because he initially said in, in his um, in his questioning that the FCC had never taken female and minority ownership into account in their um, analysis of media ownership rules, which is just plain false. Um, and I, you know, I don't necessarily blame Mr. Stewart. He, he's um, you know, solicitor, deputy solicitor general, I believe, and not an FCC, not not FCC general counsel, not steeped in it. I mean, he should have known, but you know, I, I can I can understand in the heat of you know, in the middle of your argument, you you blank um, on something that's not um, your specific expertise. But it, by the same token, it's also true that it has not been the primary um, consideration. So. Um, I think it was Helgi Walker who said that, and she was correct, that it has been a consideration. It has not been the primary consideration. Um, so uh, it, it's just it's very confusing in the sense that, so on the one hand, um, the FCC has as a goal in increasing and promoting minority and female ownership by the same token, they seek to un unwind some of the limitations on multiple and cross ownership, such that you know, there's there's evidence that that increases consolidation and thereby might have an, an opposite effect on minority and female ownership. So it it's it is confusing, <laughs> and because I think. It didn't help that um, the FCC, the, the person arguing on behalf of the FCC, probably didn't have a full grasp of the issues. Um, you know, I think Helgi Walker did a much better job of of answering those questions, understanding the the, the history and the depth of of the. Um, it's, and it has been. It's also been confusing because the FCC itself, because of changes in administrations, right? They've there's been different um, efforts over the years, and they they've had slightly different um, positioning based on who who was in charge of the agency at the time and what their what their particular political goals were, if you will. Okay, so now let's look at Ms. Walker, the counsel for the NAB, because it seemed like there was a lot of heavy grilling going on with her. Mm -hmm. What can you say about that in terms of what some of the questions and some of the reaction was? I did find it interesting that, um, you know, I thought she did an excellent job. Um, she was certainly much, uh, she has a very thorough grasp of the issues and really knows um, her her stuff and um and i think i was i was surprised that they were you know continuing to hammer her on whether the uh fcc had given a reason explanation for changing its rules 
whether it, it essentially did the FCC do its job. I mean, her argument was, of course, it did. Um, but the fact that they kept coming back to that signaled to me that maybe they weren't so convinced. You know, they, there was a question about whether, you know, they, that the FCC stated a change and that it's changed in policy goal to help minority and female ownership and whether they had said why they made that change. And the argument and the response, of course, was that, well, that's always been a, a goal, but, um, you know, and I think, I think Helgi said that they did, but it just didn't seem to land like as, as authoritatively um, as we normally would, would hear in an argument. They just kept coming back to that. And then we have the legal counsel representing Prometheus. Any insight into how that went? Um, I thought it went well for her. Um, again, I don't think it didn't seem like any of the justices felt really strongly one way or the other on this. So I do find I did find that they were equally, um, you know, uh, probing of both sides which was, you know, also interesting. Um, although it, it did seem to me that um, I felt like they were um, a little bit more sympathetic to Prometheus's side. So before we wrap up the podcast, Davina, what happens now? Well, what happens from now is that we wait. See, the Supreme Court will have to write its opinion and to come to a decision. Well, they'll first, you know, conference determine what the votes are, um, assign it out, and someone will, one of them will write the opinion, and then it'll be uh, released later this term, probably May or June, I would imagine. And then, you know, if it gets, if it's uh, upheld, then uh, the FCC just has to get to work on their current uh, owner quadrennial review that's now three years into where it should be and uh, take its guidance from that Third Circuit decision. If not, we'll have to see how the court decides. If they, if they decide to overturn the Third Circuit, they could send it back to the Third Circuit to, to review certain aspects or um, direct remand to the commission to have it review certain aspects, or they could just overturn it outright in which case the last ownership rules would stand. But then there's still another quadrennial review that needs to happen because it's three years into the next quadrennial review cycle. And so the new, whoever the new chairman is at the FCC will be tasked with, uh, with, with completing that. So needless to say, we have another six months before we really have any sort of conclusion on where the Supreme Court is going to go with this. And for the broadcast media industry, I guess it's just a lot of waiting and hoping. And should the Supreme Court overrule the Third Circuit, and that is going to you know, perhaps put rules into effect that the previous FCC had enacted, where does that put the new FCC? Well, it is an interesting question because one thing that was was re revisited several times in the oral arguments was whether once 
the FCC deregulates, meaning allowing for more um, consolidation and, and ownership, cross ownership, and multiple ownership. Can the FCC under the um, under the statute can they um, regulate to um, tighten the rules again under the quadrennial uh, review? And the answer seemed to be from both sides that no, they cannot. So it essentially seems to be well, if the cat's out of the bag, once you you deregulate. Any concluding thoughts before we say farewell? Um, it'll be interesting. We'll say that. Um, I think that, I think no one um, really feels like they have a good sense of where this is, is going to go. And unfortunately, it, it may well um, just continue to be uh, mired in controversy and questions for, for years to come. And the pundits at Potbelly will just continue to guess as we <laughs> conclude this podcast. So uh, once again, thanks to you, Davina, for being our guest today. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this radio and television business report in focus podcast. It was sponsored by Dot FM streaming social podcast or broadcast. Get a Dot FM domain name by heading over to get Dot FM today. And from the radio and television business report headquarters in Boca Raton, Florida, I'm Adam R. Jacobson. Have a great day.